0: I'm Pastor Nick, and uh pastor of the Junior High Ministry here at NBC. I'm really glad to be with you guys this morning as we continue on in our series, All Things New, and we're getting close to the very end. And it's exciting for me because what we get to talk about today is this idea that there is a day coming, there is a victory coming through Jesus Christ that tells us that all evil, all injustice, all disease, all death, all chaos, all separation will be taken care of, it'll be overthrown, and we can celebrate that victory. And it reminds me of such amazing stories that I used to hear growing up as a kid. It reminds me of these wonderful books and and even movies that we look at in life that we see heroes, we see victory, we see people who have become changed and even inspire us to do different things inside of us because we want to be better people maybe or or whatever else. And it's so, so cool because as a kid, I used to like read stories uh, in the middle of the night, maybe some of you guys can relate, I'd like sneak a flashlight into my room and my parents would put me to bed and then I'd like hide under the covers and I'd read my comic books or I'd read my books and stories in the middle of the night. Sometimes all the way until morning came, probably to the detriment of my studies, but sorry, mom and dad, it's cool. I, I'm fine. I mean, it's fine. And I, I love it though. I love stories. Stories for me inspire some amazing truths, good versus evil, light versus darkness, heroes that want to save the world, how people, they long for something greater, how people long for redemption. And stories point us to truth, and it's through Scripture and through the Gospels that we see the story of Jesus Christ. And it's almost as if this innate A desire for something more is woven into us from the very beginning of time because it transcends even just like following Jesus, right? The Hollywood and and novelists and books, comic books, all things like that, they have these stories where there's redemption and there's heroes and there's a savior of the world. It's as if somewhere, someone wrote that into our DNA. We follow Jesus, we know who that is. And it's amazing how stories point us to truth. And when I was in college... I uh, studied creative writing and script writing because for a long time I wanted to do uh, a lot of writing and and create my own stories because I love it. And so you had to study story structure and what a story looks like. And so just very briefly kind of breaking this down, in a story structure, you have characters in conflict. You have the main character and you have the problem that they're faced with. Then you have the rising action. In the rising action, you have your character who is struggling to, to reach this point where they want to change or solve this conflict or problem. And oftentimes on their very own, they try to fix this, but then they fail. And sometimes more than just once, as you see from that line there, they'll fail time and time again until they reach the climax, the turning point in their story where something has changed within them. Something has taken place, and now they are no longer the same as they were at the very beginning of the story. Then you have the falling action. The falling action, uh, I think personally, is mislabeled. I don't think it should be called falling action, but because of the way the pyramids are are designed, it's a falling action. The falling action is everything that takes place between the climax and the resolution, all the actions that happen after that initial change, almost like from this catalyst point, everything that this character does until the end of the story. And then you have the resolution. And the resolution, the end of the story, is how this character, how things are different, how life is different, how the world is different because of what has taken place. The end of the story, this resolution As followers of Jesus, we know that our resolution is ultimately in the victory that Christ has won, that our resolution is in the book of Revelation. It's been given to us. What's so amazing about the story of Scripture, the ultimate story, is that we have the very end. We know what's coming next. And so if you have your Bible, open up to Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 through 10. That's where we're going to be. Here for a little bit this morning, and then we're going to break down some different stories throughout Scripture and Jesus' ministry and what it looks like to live in light of the victory that's to come. So, Revelation 20, starting in verse 7. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city that he loves, but fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. There they will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. This passage is so intense. Like we see that Satan and his armies have come to surround the people of God so much that they're, they're, they outnumber the sand on the seashore. Like so much of the enemy's army against the people of God. And it's amazing because before even an arrow can be shot, before the battle can happen, before an attack can even be made, it says that God sends down fire from heaven to devour them. This is the end. Finite. El fin. It's over. Reminds me of the movie The Avengers. Yeah, if you don't know me, I love comic book stuff. Okay, and uh, so in The Avengers, at the very end of the movie. Tony Stark, he's talking to Loki in Stark Tower before the final climactic battle. And he tells Loki, there is no throne. There is no version of this where you come out on top. And that is what Jesus is saying to Satan. There is no version of this where you win. We have the end of the story. We have the resolution. We know that victory is at hand. And there is nothing, nothing that the enemy can do to take that away. And if that's all we needed to worry about, man, we could pray and go home early. and It would be totally awesome. The truth is, in light of the victory God has promised us, in light of the victory that he has called us to, there is a way that we are being told we need to live, and that is with victory in mind. We need to be living victoriously. And to have victorious living in our life, we have to look at three different things. And so we're going to break down some of Jesus' ministry and how he lived this out and showed us how we should live as well, starting with number one. Number one, we have to step into the story. We have to step into the story that God is writing. If we truly believe that the end of the story results in victory, results in the defeat of Satan, the overthrow of evil, and our celebration in God's kingdom, then we have to start by stepping into the story God is writing in our lives so let's take a look at the story of blind Bartimaeus in Mark 10, 46 through 52, which I'll be reading to you. Uh, If you like, you can turn there. It's in your notes as well, as you want to follow along. Mark 10. Then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. There was a blind man, Bartimaeus, who was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. First thing that kind of hits me in the face is that people told him to be quiet. Almost as if they said, dude, Jesus doesn't have time for you. Oh, I'm so glad I'm not that person. Except for sometimes I am. Sometimes we are. We think Jesus doesn't have time for us or for other people. And this is what happens next. Jesus stops, and he says, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet, and he came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus said. The blind man responded, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus. Along the road. I love this because Bartimaeus, he has been blind all his life. He's been poor, he's been a beggar, he's the outcast, so he's left outside of the city. But he's got his hearing, right? So he knows when he hears the rumblings of Jesus of Nazareth, someone who, who, can, who can heal and restore. Jesus of Nazareth is coming through. He pays attention. He can't see him, but he can hear him, and he hears that he is coming, and he begins to cry out, Jesus son of David. In that moment, he is proclaiming who he believes Jesus is as the Messiah. Save me. Have mercy on me. The people rebuke him, tell him to be quiet, but he's like, no, not today. He shouts for Jesus. And then Jesus calls him, invites him to himself. It says that Bartimaeus jumped up and threw his cloak off. Now, as a poor man, a blind man, a beggar, This cloak was probably all that he had. It was also probably a symbol of his life, the fact that he didn't have very much. And he didn't just hold on to it in trepidation, hopefully this works out with this Jesus guy. He didn't hand it off to a friend, rather he throws it aside as a symbol of his old life and he runs to Jesus. And I love what it says there at the end, immediately he received his sight and he followed Jesus along the road there was no turning back for Bartimaeus sometimes sometimes we've been given this invitation to follow Jesus Lord restore my sight so I could see you for who you truly are and then we put the blindfold on and we go back and we sit down because we think this is all that life is for us Bartimaeus is showing us that if we step into the story of what God is writing in our lives and we follow him, we can leave the old life behind and trust in who he is. Margaret Feinberg in her book, Wonderstruck, she writes, when it comes to the restoration business, Jesus owns the entire franchise. The son of God spends his days reaching the marginalized, healing the smashed hearted, setting people free from torment and raising corpses back to life. Everywhere Jesus travels, he affirms life and welcomes people into a restored relationship with God and each other. And he coaches his disciples to carry on the same ministry. When Jesus sends out the 12, he essentially tells them to find dry bones and breathe life back into them. He instructs, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. For freely you have received, so freely give. Jesus makes his disciples conduits of the restorative work of God. When we choose to follow Jesus... When we choose to step into the story God is writing, he is making us part of the mission work, the kingdom work, to leave the old life behind and to follow him. And if you haven't made that decision, the end, the resolution, the victory we have in Christ and the overthrow of evil, if you haven't made that decision to actually step into the story yet, that's nice to talk about, but you can't claim that same victory unless you've given your life to Christ completely. I'm leaving the old life behind and I'm going to follow him by stepping into the story to live victoriously in light of the victory that's to come. Not only do we have to step into the story that Jesus is writing in our lives, but we also have to embrace opportunity. We have to embrace opportunity. For some of us, there are things in our lives that we refuse or sometimes we're we're afraid of that we want to push back on because we don't think God can use us. We don't think God wants us. We don't think we're worthy enough We feel undervalued. The best picture that I could, that I could see and think of when I, when I think of this idea of embracing opportunity is the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. See, in Jesus' day, the Jews, the Jewish people, they looked down on Samaritans because they thought they were just less than people, less than human. They weren't just a different class or society or culture. They were just less than human to them. They wanted nothing to do with them. So this woman, who in her day and age was already looked down upon because she was a woman, she's also a Samaritan, but she also has a past that Jesus begins to reveal to us that causes her to feel judgment even from her own people. So she kind of has this trifecta of things going on in her life that she is just ashamed of and afraid of. And it's here in the middle of her life, in the middle of the hot sun on a, on a day in the desert where she goes to get water from a well, that she meets Jesus face to face. In John chapter 4, let's look at this, starting in verse 4. Now, he had to go through Samaria, and so he came to a town there called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from his journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. There came a woman, a Samaritan woman, to draw water. Jesus said to her, will you give me something to drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water from? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst Need the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman says, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. Right there, she just misses it completely. She is so concerned about the things that have happened in her life, which Jesus is about to reveal. That She goes to the well at noon, so she doesn't have to deal with her community, her neighbors, the people who are judging her. She runs into this Jewish man. and She hears, oh, there's a way for me not to maybe have to come back to this well and deal with this uncomfortable thing in my life? I want that. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's inviting her into something else to embrace something else, and she misses it. This is what he says. Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not even your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. It's almost as if she's trying to change the subject. Like, Oh, you know about me? Um, Do I worship here or over there? It's like she's trying to distract from what has taken place in her life. Again, the feeling that there is something that she is ashamed of, for good reason, to expose to the world around her. Jesus replies, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and it has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and his truth. And the woman said, I know, I know that the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Verse 26, then Jesus declares, I, the one speaking to you right now, I am he. I love this. Jumping down to verse 28. Then, leaving her water jar behind, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? So they came out of the town and made their way towards him. Verse 39. Then many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed for two more days. Because of his words, many more believed. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said, but now we have heard it for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. See, the Samaritan woman, she had this opportunity in front of her. She could either go about her business, getting water at noon, staying away from her community, the people who judged her, the shame that she felt because of her past. She could step into this story, embrace opportunity, and return In fact, she doesn't just return, but she leaves her life behind, just like Bartimaeus. Water in the desert is life. She leaves her jar behind to go tell people who she has witnessed face-to-face, the Messiah. Could this be him? He knows everything about me. Come and see. Come and hear. I love what Kelly Worrell in her book, Pearson Embrace, writes about this woman. She says, this woman was so focused, who was so focused on the simple and concrete act of drawing water, leaves her jar behind because now she has much more important matters, spiritual matters, eternal matters to attend to. This woman who was caught up in the pain of her social stigma, tried to avoid the contact with her neighbors out of shame, who came to the well at noon, now sought out her community to share with them her testimony. And many more believed. God used her for his own glory as an instrument of change in the lives of many others. He's not waiting for you to get your act together. He's not waiting for your privileges to be put aside. He's not waiting for any of this. He's saying, go now. I'm the one who's bringing life, and you need to embrace it and then go and share it with other people. This isn't just for you, but this story is for the world, and you need to embrace it and take it back home, regardless of your past, regardless of your hurt, regardless of anything that has happened to you. It's not that it's not important, but God wants to use you in light of that because there's a future victory coming. If we live victoriously and we live with victory in mind, then those things in our lives we can embrace knowing that we have victory in Jesus and that our story matters to the people around us. And the testimony of a woman who was marginalized, a woman who was outcast, a woman who had pain in her past was used to change the lives of her community. That's who God wants. He wants us to step into the story and embrace opportunity in light of the victory that's coming. But he also calls us to love fearlessly, to love fearlessly. And for me, this is probably the hardest part of living victoriously for me, to love fearlessly, because love requires something of us, doesn't it? You know, it might, it might even be easy to say, I love my spouse or I love my kids or I love like my family members or there's friends that I love, but ultimately it exposes a part of us and it can hurt to expose ourselves like that. And for me, this is, this is one of the most difficult parts of the idea of I want to live with victory in mind. How do I love fearlessly? And I think the best example of that comes from Jesus' testimony through the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10, 25 to 37. And on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, that's a question, isn't it? We've all asked that question. What can I do to inherit eternal life? Maybe that's even how we came to first know Jesus in the first place. Ah, I don't want to die. I want to go to heaven. What is next? What's going on? And we ask these questions. And just like this man, we say, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And I love this. Jesus kind of sets him up like he's messed with him. Well, what's written in the law? What do you say it says? It's like, can you imagine Jesus like being a goofball, right? It's kind of weird to like put in our minds and be like, no, no, I know the answer, but do you know the answer? And Jesus sets him up for this, and this is what the man says. He answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Then the man wanted to justify himself, and so he asked Jesus, "And who is my neighbor?" And I can say, in my own life, I'm ashamed of this—that I have been the man who has asked, "Who is my neighbor?" Because loving fearlessly requires something of us that exposes us, and it can hurt. When I've been faced with those opportunities. Sometimes I go, yeah, but who is my neighbor? It's been a challenge to me, a challenge to me. If I want to live in light of the victory that's to come, then I need to love fearlessly without borders, without boundaries, trusting that Jesus' ultimate victory is spurring me towards this. So Jesus answers this man's question by telling the story. A lot of us are familiar with the Good Samaritan. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. He stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by for fear of becoming unclean. So too a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him pass by on the other side for fear of becoming unclean. But then a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, banished his wounds, put oil and wine on him, and then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn to take care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. When I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have occurred. And Jesus says, now which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And I can picture it. I can picture the expert in the law as he replies, super embarrassed, maybe even sheepishly, just like, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus says, go. And do likewise. Go and do likewise. See, this story, Jesus takes the marginalized man, the Samaritan man, someone who the Jews already looked down upon, and he doesn't just make him part of the story, he makes him the hero of this story, the one that we're supposed to look at and say, "This is what we're supposed to live like." Go and do likewise. To love fearlessly means to embrace the victory that's to come. And say, whether you are outcast, marginalized, the downtrodden, the poor, the hopeless, we have the hope in Jesus. And so we're here to love you and to care about you and to step out on faith and say, you matter. You have value. You have worth. And it's difficult. It can even be uncomfortable. But if we want to live in light of the victory, we step into the story God is writing. We embrace the opportunity he's giving us and we love fearlessly the people around us, and not just in our tribe or in our social circles, but the world at large, the people who feel unloved. Now, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I, was, I had the privilege of watching my kids go to their first wrestling tournament, and my kids are super goofy and weird, Okay? <laughs> This is them at Christmas time at my my parents' house up in Michigan. My daughter Zoe, Reese, who looks like he's going to burn the house down, uh, there with that maniacal smile, Joaquin in his bow tie, and then my youngest son, Elo, he's chewing up a pair of sunglasses. Like, they're just weird. That's weird. But I love them. I love them. They're they're so awesome and wonderful and creative and crazy and terrifyingly hilarious. Like, sometimes they don't get in trouble because they make me laugh, and it's just like, oh, no, what do I do now? So... but, but my oldest three, Zoe, Reese there in the middle, and then Joaquin, they, uh, this was their first year of wrestling. I didn't wrestle growing up, so it's all new to me, and uh, it was exciting. We wanted them to have some sort of physical activity that burn off energy, get some discipline, learn some new skills, and it was a lot of fun. And at practice, they were all pretty good. They enjoyed practice, loved it. It was a great time. We didn't want to put too much on them, though, so we only had them do one tournament. Uh, they take place on Sundays more often than not, and I'm kind of busy, so... You know, it was difficult to do. But we had them go to this tournament in Minoka here, and uh, they got to wrestle with, the, with their team and stuff and, and go against other teams, and they really enjoyed it. But just like any kid, or even sometimes us adults, right before we have to do something that feels really big, maybe it's coming out on stage for something, or it's wrestling in front of a large group of people, or stepping up to the plate, or having to sing. in front. Like, all of a sudden, the nerves, they just kind of, you know, they seep in. And for a kid, it's like, oh, this is awesome, I'm excited. And it's like you could feel the energy in the car as we get closer to the parking lot, just to go quiet down, like, ah. can we go home now? <laughs> it's like, no, we're here. We're doing this. And they were. They were excited. But they also had some fears, some trepidations about what this day was going to look like. And I think the three of them, at least for me, give me a good example of what this idea of living with victory in mind, kind of expressing that, looks like from this day. See, Reese, this was his attitude all day. He was just like, this is awesome. He didn't really care. He didn't care if he won. He didn't care if he lost. He was just having a good time. In fact, there was a moment where he told Joy and I, he's like, yeah, uh, I think I'm going to wrestle for one minute and then I'm done. (laughs) It's like, okay, you're four. Uh, I don't even know you. I have a concept of what a minute actually is, but I kid you not. To the second, the bell rings, he's wrestling, and it's like a minute goes by and then he just lays down. (laughs) It's like, all right, man, okay. You do you, that's fine, that's fine. But he loved it, he just had so much fun. Like, it was so enjoyable for him. And like Bartimaeus, who was just all in, Reese was all in for what was going on that day. Bartimaeus was all in for Jesus. Like, I'm leaving this behind, win or lose, I am following Jesus. And for some of us, that's where we're at. And that's awesome. That's exciting. The kingdom needs you. We need you. God wants to use you for his glory, being all in 100%, following him. That is awesome. But I know that's not everyone's story. I know that's not where everyone's at. Some of us, we might be more like my daughter Zoe. I just rubbed the microphone and my beard and heard a weird scratch. Sorry. Super distracting. Super distracting. Some of us, though, we might be like Zoe. Zoe there, um, this is at her last match of the day. She had to wrestle someone on her own team, and she had, uh, she had lost uh, her earlier match, but she's been having a good time. She was kind of nervous when she found out she had to wrestle someone on her team because, you know, you learn at practice that they're your team. They're supposed to support you. How, how, come, how come I'm wrestling someone on my team? Like, this seems weird. And so, Joy and I are sitting in the stands, and we're watching the two of them as they're about to wrestle, and you can see she's there, and she's, like, ready and excited, and you know, this, the, this young man is, is just standing there, and then they start talking. Like, what are they talking about? And she's like, you know, everyone's screaming, so I can't make anything out, but they're talking. And then they start, the bell rings, and the ref is moving around, and they're wrestling, and then it looks like Zoe's helping him. <laughs> and then he pins her, and she loses. And I'm like, what just happened? And afterwards, she comes to Joy and I, and she's like, Yeah, he just, he said he was nervous, and I was like, well, I'm nervous too, but we're a team, so it'll be fine. We'll just help each other. And she did help him, (laughs) but she didn't care that she lost. She was, later on in the day, she was like, oh, I didn't realize I could win if I tried. But she didn't care if she lost. In that moment, it was more important to her that this other kid on her team, someone she was supposed to be there for, was in need. And regardless of what it would cost her, she would step out and help him. And that's what she did. Some of us, we might be afraid of what it might cost us to step out in faith, to embrace the opportunities around us. Some of us, we might be afraid of what our story might cost us if we begin to share it with other people. Some of us, we're afraid of what the world will take from us if we give in to what God is calling us to. Will you embrace the opportunity? Will you embrace the opportunity? Finally, some of us we might be like my son Joaquin. This picture was taken by Amy Domingo in the bullpen, uh, in the back there. Joy is holding on to him, and uh, his coach, Coach John, is there talking to him. And if I'm honest, I feel a lot like Joaquin sometimes. Not just because we look alike. Like I feel like this because he has some social anxiety. Like when it's loud and there's tons of people, like it's really easy for him to just be like, "Nope." And sometimes like that, I'm just like, "Lord." Jesus, you got away for a couple of days, and you rested? Like, I want that. That Sounds good. Right? And so it's loud there in the gymnasium. People are screaming and yelling. Kids are running around all crazy, and Joaquin is just shutting down. He's just like, I can't do this. I don't want to do this. I want to go home. And Joy's there talking to him, and Coach John comes over, and he starts telling him, hey, Joaquin, buddy, it's going to be okay. Guess what? When I was a kid and I first started wrestling, like, I was scared too. And Joaquin's like, yeah, but what if it hurts? What, what, if, what if it's uncomfortable? What if it's difficult? And Coach John is like, hey, I felt the same way. And yeah, you know what? It, it will be difficult. It, it might be uncomfortable. It might hurt. But you know what? You're not alone. I'm with you. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be coaching you. I'm going to be training you. Your other t- coaches will be there. Your parents are here cheering you on. You're not alone in this. Some of us, we're afraid We are gripped with fear. What it would mean to love fearlessly. What it would mean to step into the story. What it would mean to embrace the opportunities around us. We are just gripped with fear. Jesus looks at you and he says, I've been there. I experienced a life of suffering for you. I went to the cross for you. I know what it's like to deal with hurt. I know what it's like to deal with difficulty. I know what it's like to deal with loss. I am here for you. You do not have to be afraid because I am with you. He didn't promise it would be easy. He promised he would be with us. You could see as Coach John was talking to Joaquin. Joy said she could see kind of like the lights turn on a little bit. He kind of had that like, "Wait, you were scared" kind of look on his face. But then he got over his fear and he went out and he wrestled. He also lost. But he won because he beat the fear that was in himself, and he got out on that mat, and he did it. Some of us, when we choose to love fearlessly, and we choose to embrace opportunity, we choose to step into the story, it might be difficult. It might be uncomfortable. It might hurt. If we stand up for those who cannot stand for themselves, if we stand with the marginalized, the oppressed, the hurting, the poor, if we do what God has called us to, it might make us uncomfortable. But we're not alone. God is with us. And ultimately, it's because of the hope that we have in Christ, the victory that he promises that we can step into the story, embrace opportunity, love fearlessly, and ultimately hold on to the hope of what he's promised, right? That there is victory to come. If all we did was hold on to hope that there is victory to come, but we didn't act out our faith, We would just be passive on the sideline, watching life go by, just going, yeah, Jesus has got this in the end. It's cool. That's not what he's called us to. He's called us to be actively participating in the mission of the kingdom. We do that by stepping into the story, embracing the opportunities, and loving fearlessly. I love this in Revelation 21, just at the very end. The vision to John. 21, verse 5, he says, He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Sound familiar? Those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. This is the promise that we are holding on to hope for the victory that is to come, yes, but we do not live this life now for nothing. We have to live with victory in mind, loving the people around us, fearlessly embracing the opportunities to share our story regardless of the cost and stepping into the story God is writing us, leaving our old life behind. We do that knowing that the victory, victory is at hand. Victory is coming soon. Let's pray. Lord, God, we thank you. We thank you that you are good and that you are mighty. We thank you that you are the one writing the victory, that you have already proclaimed victory in the end. And because of that, I pray that we could step into the story you're writing in our lives, regardless of where we're at. Maybe for the very first time we need to step into the story. Lord, maybe for some of us we need to finally leave the old behind and follow after you. Lord, perhaps we need to embrace the opportunities you've put in our lives, regardless of what it will cost us, to truly embrace our stories. we share our testimony with the world of what you've done in us. Lord, help us to love fearlessly, to not look at people and say, there's no time, Jesus doesn't have time for you, but rather, we can show them your love by living it out every day, to love fearlessly and embrace the people around us. Lord, and we can do all this because of the hope you've given us, that victory that's to come. We can rest assured that one day evil, yes, will be overthrown. Injustice, yes, will be taken care of. Pain and heartache, everything in between will be taken care of, Lord, and we can celebrate in you because of the hope you've given us. We give you the thanks for all those things. In the sure name we pray, amen. This week, let's go out and live victoriously, stepping into the story God is writing in our lives. Amen? Amen.